Hello one and all and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. And I apologize in advance for, or not in advance, I guess it's after the fact, but either way, I apologize for not doing a show on Monday. It was not, I know I post on social media, I have no energy to do a show on Monday. And that was, that was half true. Because if you didn't know, it was daylight savings time, so we moved the clocks an hour back, which doesn't make a lot of sense for why you'd be tired, feel like you'd be a lot more well-rested, but I, on the other hand, was not. I was feeling a little bit more down in the dumps, but I, I don't think it was just because of that. No, I also tried to record a show right after, like an hour, maybe a half hour, after I tried to, not tried, after I watched the Bills try to play football against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Good lord. That is the worst football game I have watched the Bills play in a while. I saw someone say on Twitter that the Bills didn't set their clocks backwards. They went back to 2010. They got the wrong thing. They set their years back. They didn't just go, oh, we'll move the clocks an hour back. No, years. It went 10 years back or 11 years technically to 2010 when the Bills were bad. And this team is supposed to be. I remember hearing, they said this the entire, the entire episode, the entire game. This is the number one offense and the number one defense in the NFL. Josh Allen, MVP favorite coming into the month of November. The Jacksonville Jaguars have not won a game on United States soil in like 420 days, LOL. And the game ends with a 6-9 loss, LOL, for the Buffalo Bills. So the Jaguars not only beat the Bills, they won 6-9 on their 420th day not winning in the United States. The last time they won a game was in London, and the time before that was the first game of the frickin' season last year against the Colts with Gardner Minshew at quarterback taking on Phillip Rivers. It's been a long-ass time. We were talking about a team that could potentially be the worst NFL team of all time. They tried to pass the expansion Bucks for longest losing streak in the NFL, but thankfully... The Dolphins ended that, and not the Buffalo Bills. Because, good lord, I would have ended it a lot sooner than what I did. I sat through, sadly, sat through that entire game on Sunday. It was draining. It wasn't even just the fact that we moved our clocks back. It was the fact that I sat there, and never once did I feel like anything positive was coming from this game. Not one time I sat there in a state of, like, nothingness for about three and a half hours and you know they marched right down the field the first drive of the game kick a field goal so that I was like okay that's fine that's fine that's fine I didn't think they'd struggle to score after that too I was like that's the first drive of the game field goals fine they held the Jaguars to a fourth or uh they held the Jaguars so this is good this is positive it wasn't it wasn't and I should have known something like this was going to happen before the game or right as the game was starting the Jaguars got called in the very first drive of the game. The Jaguars got called for a personal foul penalty, okay? But the Jag the referees of the game pointed to the Bills' defense. So, unsportsmanlike conduct, personal foul, defense, number 10. If you are unaware of what happens or what, what the Bills' roster looks like, number 10 is Mitch Trubisky. And number 10, Mitch Trubisky, not only does not play defense, wasn't even there. He was out with COVID. They meant to call number 10 LaVisca Chenault for the personal foul penalty. And they call it for the Bills. And then about 15 seconds later, they're like, okay, 
actually, it was on LaVisca Chenault Jr., not Mitch Trubisky, who's not even in the state, let alone playing in this game. And then later in the drive, like three plays later, another personal foul penalty is called. This time on the Jaguars, on Tavon Austin for roughing up Tredavious White. The problem is they called it on Tavon Austin. They let the teams bring their punt units out. The Jaguars brought their punt team out. The Bills brought their punt return team out. About a minute later, they finally go, correction, personal foul, defense, number 27, which is Tredavious White. Two penalties that were called the wrong way within the first two minutes of the game. I should have known from that point that this was not going to be a normal game. And watching this, also, you also had the the Josh Allen versus Josh Allen sweepstakes. Who's Josh Allen is better the Jaguars' Josh Allen or the Bills' one? Now, I bet about 95% of people going into this game would say the Bills' Josh Allen. That 5% of people being the Jaguars' fans that live over in London. The other one... <laughs> so, in this game, I bet it's about... I mean, if I'm, I'm probably being generous. Most people probably say the Jaguars' Josh Allen's better at this point in time. Because the, Bill, the Jaguars' Josh Allen not only sacked the Bills' Josh Allen... Not only recovered a fumble, forced a fumble from the Bills' Josh Allen, he picked off the Bills' Josh Allen as well. Josh Allen, the Bills' one, had four turnovers in the game. Two interceptions, two fumbles. And that that was like, people were bringing up rookie year Josh Allen. I don't even think it was that. And it's not even that Josh Allen, the Bills' Josh Allen, played that terrible. He played bad. In his own words, he said, played like shit. That's his own words. He said that at the press conference. He said that right after the game. The Bills' offensive line. Good Lord. I knew it wasn't great going into the season. I didn't understand how much hype people in the national media were giving to the Bills' offensive line. Like, oh, this is actually a better offensive line in the NFL. One of the better units in the NFL. It's not at all. Three of their starters are backups on 30 other teams in the NFL. Three of them that played on Sunday. That is Cody Ford, Ike Butker, and arguably, this is very arguably, Daryl Williams, and some might even argue Deion Dawkins. Cody Ford was a second-round draft pick from Oklahoma. They flipped him back and forth between tackle and guard. Neither have worked. He sat out most of last season with an injury. He played the first two or three games of the season and got benched. If he ever plays for the Bills again, <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, bad. And Ike Butker, I mean, he's not a starter anyways. He played decent at best last year. I know a lot of fans really liked him. A lot of people from Iowa loved themselves in Ike Butker. He's from Cedar Falls, played at Iowa. Love that guy. He really fits the Buffalo culture. That's what you like to see. But he's not a starter. And the problem is, the other people the Bills have at those spots aren't starters either. John Feliciano is not a starter. I love John Feliciano because I think he's a very good locker room person. I think he's got Josh's best interest in heart. I think he's a very infectious personality. He's going to fight for everything. But man, he ain't a starter either. And people are talking on Twitter like, man... I really miss John Feliciano. That's how bad this was. This was a miserable, miserable game. And I love Spencer Brown. Everybody knows this. I went to you and I. I had a class with him or two classes with him. He was out. I think he got more fans this Sunday 
than he had the entire season to this point. <laughs> There's a screenshot that I have from the game on 3rd and 11. There are the, the two guards that we mentioned, Butker and Cody Ford, and center Mike Morris, Mitch Morris, we can't forget about him in this situation, was once the highest paid center in the NFL, one of the worst run blocking grades in the NFL, one of the worst run blockers in the NFL, great pass blocker, he's the tallest of the Bills offensive linemen, which is not really typical when you're talking about an offensive line, usually the center is the shortest, but they have three people blocking one person, and then Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams have their guys covered, and there's a free rusher right up the middle on third and eleven. And it's on the right side, which no one's really surprised about at this point. I mean, everybody, we were all really excited for Cody Ford. Like you saw what he did at Oklahoma with Baker Mayfield. Oh, he could play both guard and tackle. But the problem was no one knew what he was. Turns out, <laughs> at this level, he can't play either <laughs> as a starter. They, the Bills have gotten to the point. My dad brought this up to me today. There's fans that are asking for DJ Fluker to play for the Buffalo Bills. One of the worst linemen I've ever had the privilege of watching in the NFL. Right behind, right above, I should say, because he's not worse than him, than Bobby Hart. I don't, they would start easily on, at least DJ Fluker would, on Josh Allen rookie year O-line. You look at Jordan Mills, uh, Pat, Vlad, Vlad Ducasi, uh, who's the other one? John Miller, these guys, Russell Bodine, Ryan Groy, like these guys. He'd start those guys there. I would take Ducasi back. No, I wouldn't. What am I saying? <laughs> but the the thing that hurts more about this, the fact that the Bills guards is the worst unit on their team, is the fact that two guys that are on the in playing in Ohio, Quentin Spain and Wyatt Teller, shit on this Bills off the line. And they cut Quentin Spain and they traded Wyatt Teller for like a sixth round pick. Now that sixth round pick, I'm believed to understand that that used that pick was used to get Tyler Bass, who's one of the best kickers in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills. But watching Wyatt Teller, who just signed a big deal by the day, by the way, today's one of the highest paid off to linemen in the NFL, at least the highest paid interior linemen in the NFL. So I'll give him a round of applause for that. I love seeing a players get their just desserts, and especially how he's developed into an all-pro guard, pro bowl guard, whatever you want to call him, he's freaking good. Quentin Spain, what came over from the Titans for the Buffalo Bills, and looked really good, and then just was kind of got benched and then cut without really any explanation about it. It was really weird. And then he went out and signed with the Cincinnati Bengals. And then this weekend... And I don't even, I don't know when it was posted exactly. It popped up my Twitter today with a bunch of people talking about it, a bunch of Bills fans talking about it. Wyatt Teller and Quentin Spain swapped jerseys, okay? And I can't imagine, I can't fathom the fact that that was probably planned because they're both former Bills players. And then posting it after the Bills just got embarrassed by a 1-7 Jaguars team that had two takeaways prior and every week. Weeks one through seven, the Jaguars had two takeaways. They had four against the Bills on Sunday. When they got utterly embarrassed by the Jaguars, they post that picture. I think it's I think it's it's planted there on purpose. And a lot of Bills fans are joking around on Twitter that we're gonna report this for uh what did they say? Abuse or something along those lines, targeted abuse at Bills fans, because <laughs> it was but only by the Bills doing. Brandon Bean has done a lot of great things for the Buffalo Bills. Cutting Quentin Spain and tra trading Wyatt Teller more so 
Those are the two worst things he's done. And the refusal to upgrade the offensive line at all at the trade deadline kind of was weird as well. I'm not saying they would have ever been able to bring back Wyatt Teller or bring back Quentin Spain, but they could have gotten somebody. The Giants cut Kevin Zeitler this offseason. Why didn't you try to go after him? Alejandro Villanueva could barely move on the Ravens O-line. Why are all trying to get him? Oh, my goodness. I, I felt bad. This is the, the most I've seen Josh get hit since Vlad Dukasi played for the Buffalo Bills. And I know I said, I, jo- I jokingly said I'd take Vlad Dukasi back. I, I, I don't mean that. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't take Vlad Dukasi back at all. <laughs> he was garbage. But can't be much worse, I guess, than what the Bills threw out there on Sunday. And they're talking about what they can do to get better. And people brought up Cody Ford in the press conference, Sean McDermott. The, the O-line stinks. <laughs> and I, I noticed this on Monday afterwards. And Tuesday, I saw some things today. Overreaction Monday and overreaction Tuesday, overreaction Wednesday is a real thing. Okay? I'm sitting here as a Bills fan and tell you this game was awful. Okay? They lost 6-9, to LOL, to a Jaguars team that had not won a game on U.S. soil in over a year. Well over a year. And they had more turnovers in this game, or takeaways in this game, than they had the entire year. Doubled that. (laughs) But what I will say is, stop with the Patriots stuff. Stop with the, the Bills are trash now. This is one game, okay? This is one game. The Raiders lost the Giants. Are we just completely forgetting about that game existing? No, I know it wasn't. Anywhere near as bad as Sunday for Buffalo, but they still lost the Giants, okay? That should not go unnoted. (laughs) The Patriots lost the Dolphins, who just got their second win of the season. Why are we talking about that more? Not instead of, is this the Patriots division? Because they beat the Panthers and Jets and the Chargers, so we'll give them credit for beating the Chargers. But the Panthers and Jets, and now we're talking about them being the best team in the AFC East again? It happened like that. This is one game. Now, I do think, I said this on Monday. I was talking to some friends yesterday. We were watching the, the Bears-Steelers game, which we'll get to in a little bit. I thought, my this is my real reaction day, was Josh Allen's out of the MVP conversation. Okay? Because if you're going to be the MVP of the NFL, you can't have games like this one, where you're a 15-point favorite against a team that hasn't won a game on U.S. soil in 420 days, and turn the ball over four times and lose the game, scoring six points. We have the number one rated offense in the NFL. You're out of the MVP race. But in all actuality, that's like, oh, doom is gloom. Ah, oh, this is terrible. Like my dad swore off football after that game, <laughs> which we all know we're all going to go back, watch the Bills play the Jets this Sunday, and kind of not forget about what happened, but pretend like we forgot what happened, but also in the back of our mind knowing Mike White killed the Bengals, who just throttled the Ravens. So, like, this is going to be sitting in the back of your mind. But Josh Allen, through eight games last two years, his numbers are almost identical. They're not not exactly the same, but there's numbers that are better. There's some that are worse than the year before. So, like, his completion percentage is down two points. He has 65% completion percentage, 67 the year prior. This year, he has 2,236 yards. 2020 had 2,172 yards. He has 17 passing touchdowns this year, 16 at this point last year. Both seasons had five interceptions. Yard per attempt has gone down this season, but not by a whole lot. Quarterback rating down a little bit. He has the sa- one less carry 
to this point than he did last year, but has more yards, yards per carry, obviously. I mean, less carries, more yards, you're going to have yard, more yards per carry, but less touchdowns. And the Bills are 5-3. and three. They were 6-2 and two at this point last year. And they beat some good teams along that line, too. But do I think this is like the Bills are done? No, not at all. I mean, this is still one of the best teams in the NFL. Every season, there is a game that should not happen whatsoever. The Bengals lost to the Jets after throttling the Ravens. We just said this 15 seconds ago. No one was saying the Bengals are trash right after the game. Now, I understand as well, expectations for the Bills going into the season, expectations for the Bengals going into the season are on completely different parallels. I can I understand that. But after beating a team that just throttled the Los Angeles Chargers, the Bengals come into Baltimore and throttle the Ravens and then go to New Jersey and lose to the Jets, that's kind of bad. The Cowboys just lost to the Broncos. They gave 30 points to the Broncos. They were down 30-7 to at one point. I, well, maybe I didn't see it because I'm not a Cowboys fan, so I don't have a lot of Cowboys things pop up on my social media. But that wasn't ideal. <laughs> oh, my God. This Sunday sucked. I'm just going to be blunt. I've said it in the beginning. I'm going to say it again. Sunday sucked. Worst football game I've watched in a very long time. The most dead I've felt in a very long time watching a Bills game. I think the next closest one was the other Jaguars-Bills game in Jacksonville. The playoff game, the one that broke the drought, 10-3, watching Tyrod Taylor versus Blake Bortles. And I love Tyrod Taylor. I don't want to bash Tyrod Taylor. That game sucked. And if you wanted to watch good quarterback play, I would recommend not watching that game. Because the Jaguars, after that, scored about 40 points on their way to almost making the Super Bowl. And some would say screwed out of making the Super Bowl. And then remember, they talked a load of shit, and then, you know, went like 4-12 and the next year, lost to the Bills, Josh Allen, you know, his first game back to ever being injured, and all that stuff. Jalen Ramsey said he's trash, all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that Bills-Jaguars game in Jacksonville, I, I don't want to watch go, go down to Jacksonville again. Never want that. One of my, my favorite NFL games I've ever been to was Jaguars-Bills in Buffalo, and I hate the Jaguars. Like, it's, it's not even the fact that, oh, it's just a bad team. No, I hate the Jaguars. I know they don't have the same stupid players that were on the team that went to the AFC Championship game. I still don't like this team. Urban Meyer's an asshat. We all know that. I like Lawrence. I like C.J. Beathard. I like Travis Etienne. I like James Robinson. That's about it. There's four players out of 53 players on this roster that I like. <laughs> now, I like some other players, but we're not going to get into those guys right now. They're not on the same dickhead levelness, dickheadedness of a likes of like Jalen Ramsey. Uh, you know, those guys. Miles Jack's kind of a dickhead as well. You know that. Um, but yeah, it, I hate losing this team. I hate losing games like this. And I watched Josh Allen's rookie year when he got hurt against Houston. Watching Nathan Peterman try to play the Chicago Bears. Watching Derek Anderson try out there for Monday Night Football against the New England Patriots. Watching him go up against the Indianapolis Colts being pulled fresh off the golf course. Those were tough. I enjoyed those games more than what I watched on Sunday because, again, expectation levels are a lot different at that point than they are right now. But if I go through my, my big thoughts of the game and think about it two days later, I'm having a little bit different mindset now because after something bad happens, it's always, this sucks. Everything's terrible. I'm never doing this again. God, why do I like this team? Screw them. Hate them. Nothing's going to get better. Well, in reality, it does. Because in reality, the Bills are a very good team. They had a very bad game. This happens. Like, 
they had a very bad half against the Dolphins, came back and still covered the spread. Remember, good teams win, great teams cover. Now, the Bills didn't cover because, again, they're 15-point favorites. But they've had really good games. They pounded the Chiefs in Arrowhead. They pounded Washington. They pounded the Dolphins. They had a very tough game with the Titans. The two teams that they should have beaten, the Jaguars and Steelers, those I'm more mad about those losses than the Bills failing on a fourth down conversion against Tennessee. Because Tennessee's actually good. The Steelers and Jaguars, well, we obviously know the Jaguars aren't, but the Steelers are not good either. But again, we'll get to that game in a little bit. But now they're playing the Jets. Mike White and the Jets. I don't know what the line is at this point in time. What is it? 13. After the Bills just lost the Jaguars, they're still going to have the audacity to say the Bills can beat a team by double digits. I don't know if I'd do that. <laughs> I don't I, I don't know if I'd do that yet. I know the Jets have lost majority of their games by double digits, but <laughs> but yeah. And Mike White seems like he's going to start. I really don't know if he's going to start or not. Was losing Trubisky really that big of a threat for the Bills that they needed to have him on the sidelines? I don't know. All in all, I just hope this gets better after this. We'll get some better talks later. But this weekend was just freaking ridiculous. All the way around it. It's freaking ridiculous. Everything that happened made zero sense whatsoever. Like, we already talked about the Broncos killing the Cowboys. What about the Browns killing the Bengals? This is back-to-back weeks getting throttled. I mean, the Jets didn't, I guess, throttle them. But when you're playing a team that has one win with their backup quarterback making his first ever start, losing by however many points they lost by is getting throttled. <laughs> that's that's the only way I could describe it. It might not be the most accurate saying I've ever said ever, but you know what? If you lose to a team that's never had a quarterback play before after you just got to beat one of the best teams in the NFL, yeah, you got throttled. And they got beat 41-16 to on Sunday against the Browns without Odell Beckham, who cleared waivers today, who is now going to be an open free agent. So if we had to choose, now this is just a little segue thing because it's not really, it's not a whole talking point because I really don't give a shit about Odell Beckham. Never really have. There were some Bills fans that were like, get Odell Beckham. Nah, I'm, I'm pretty fine. Vikings, the like Justin Jefferson was wearing an Odell Beckham shirt. I mean, they complain about Stephon Diggs still. Why are they going to get Odell Beckham? I, cry ba- biggest crybaby fans in the NFL. I got multiple friends that are Vikings fans. I deal with them all the time. But if you want, you can play about Stephon Diggs, who has one of the greatest moments in Vikings history, the Minneapolis Miracle, and then bash him the way they do on Twitter. Hey, you want Odell Beckham? Okay, I, I, that'll work out really well. Let's see how that one works out. But if we had to choose where Odell would go, I think the most obvious places, now I don't know if they will happen or not, but if I had a say in where he'd go, I would picture something like if I had to choose five. Just looking, I got the teams thing pulled up on NF, on ESPN, so I'm looking at the teams. I would say the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Raiders, the Saints, and um, who else? I kind of see the Ravens, I guess. He said he wants to play for a good team, so maybe San Francisco's not in the most logical spot because they're not really that good at this point in time, but they got talent. I mean, there's no denying San Francisco has talent, even though they just got beat by Colt McCoy this past weekend by double digits at home. More by James Conner than anything. But I think the like going over each team, why? The Saints, he's from Louisiana, played at LSU, go back home, I guess. I know it's not exactly home, but it's pretty damn close. Raiders, we already talked about the Henry Ruggs situation. Like, they need a number one wide receiver. 
They have no other real wide receivers on the roster. It's Daryl Wall, Darren Waller, and who else do they even have? I can't even think of any off the time. I had uh, Hunter Renfro, Zay Jones. They're going to try out Zay Jones on their active roster. I guess they signed Deshaun Jackson, but this ain't like 2010. No one, it's not the same. Like Odell Beckham, he still has gas in the tank. I, he's a lot younger than Deshaun Jackson, so maybe that rules him out. I don't know. But the 49ers, they tried to trade for Odell Beckham before he got traded to Cleveland. The Seahawks have tried to trade for Odell Beckham in the past before. Get another guy alongside Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Russell Wilson's coming back this weekend, it looks like, so that'll be positive for them. Then, that You know what? Random thing. That kind of made the loss on Sunday worse for the Bills. The fact that Geno Smith tore apart the Jaguars' defense and beat them 31-7, that makes it a little worse that the Bills lost 6-9 to to the Jaguars. The fourth largest road team like in regards to spread that has ever lost in NFL history, at least since 1966, 15-point favorites lost to the Jaguars. A terrible Jaguars team. But yeah, I, I guess like, they randomly link him to the Patriots. They link him to the Packers. Maybe he goes to those two teams. I don't know. Packers don't really have a ton of depth at wide receiver. We saw it tested against the Cardinals, but, you know, Aaron Rodgers is there. At least he was. Now we, we don't know when he's going to play again. He's, he might play Sunday. Who knows? But on that whole situation, not necessarily on the vaccination status of Aaron Rodgers, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what happened on the field with the Packers and the Chiefs. I saw a lot of people, at least in my fantasy football group chat, that were just bashing Jordan Love. Like, I feel so good about the NFC North's future now because one of them's a Bears fan. We're not going to name names here. We're not going to name names. But this is one game. I Now, I understand where they're coming from to a certain extent. The Packers offense looked dead this game. Dead. Nothing was really working for them. And the Chiefs defense is not very good. We know this. Their pass defense is pretty atrocious this season. They can't get after the quarterback. They can't cover anybody. As long as Daniel Sorensen plays and is breathing air, the Chiefs defense sucks. <laughs> like, it's bad. Now, I love... Now, I'm, I'm having a revelation here. Because I always hated Daniel Sorensen. Because I thought Daniel Sorensen was always one of those tryhard players that go a little too hard and injure somebody like he did against the... Almost did against the Browns last year. He always, like, seems to roll over, twist ankles and all that stuff. That's what I saw. But now that he's hurting the Chiefs... I really like that. I like that guy. He's <laughs> pretty cool. <laughs> but your first ever start at Arrowhead Stadium, regardless of how good the Chiefs are, Arrowhead is still the loudest stadium in the NFL. It does not matter how good the Chiefs are. I mean, the Chiefs went 2-14 one year and drafted Eric Fisher first overall, and it was still loud. They have Matt Castle and Brody Croyle playing quarterback for them, and it was still loud. They went 20 years without winning a home playoff game, and it was still loud. This is a tough place to play. And Jordan Love didn't play terrible by any stretch of the imagination. He just didn't play good because he's not freaking Aaron Rodgers. His first ever start in the NFL, he didn't dress once last year. He played two preseason games this year, three maybe. I watched him against the Bills, looked fine enough. But if you remember listening back to the 2020, prior to the 2020 NFL Draft, we talked about Jordan Love quite a bit. I don't know how far the episodes go back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. It has to be there. I would assume it has to go back there. Jordan Love has all the talent in the world. The matter of the fact is, will he realize it? Who the hell knows? Sam Darnold has all the talent in the world. He, we thought he realized it at the first portion of the season when he was playing some garbage teams. 
No, he still stinks. No, he's kind of bad. Everyone tried to blame Adam Gase like he didn't have turnover problems at USC. <laughs> we knew he was talented. But he still made some stupid plays while playing for the Trojans. And that's just amplified because he's playing in the NFL. No one really watches USC football anyways. They, if they're not good, not even Los Angeles watches USC football games. Because USC is a very uh, tourist town. 90% of the fans that go to these, U, these LA games are tourists. I would love to meet a season ticket holder for USC, for UCLA, for the Rams, the Chargers, Lakers. I would, well, not Lakers, but... Those guys. Because they're not a football town. I can understand Lakers. Like, you got Jack Nicholas, You got all these famous people. Do you have these famous people going to USC and Chargers games? I don't know. I'd love to meet some of them. You have a lot of very passionate fans down in San Diego that you just flipped off and went up to LA. But you know what? Whatever. <laughs> but man, Jordan Love is talented. And I remember going into the 2020 NFL Draft, the comparison that was made for Jordan Love... Now, this is what you got to understand with this. When I say this, your first inclination is going to be, I'm mad, or he's stupid, why did he say that? Jordan Love has the skill set of Patrick Mahomes. The skill set. That does not mean he is Patrick Mahomes. That does not mean he will ever become Patrick Mahomes. It doesn't mean that he will even dream of being as good as Patrick Mahomes. It just means he can contort his body, make every throw all over the field. He can ad-lib very well. He has a rocket of an arm. He's not the biggest dude. He can move decently well. He's built like Patrick Mahomes, too. Do we think he'll ever become Mahomes? I have no idea. But Jordan Love has not been a favorite of anybody since he got drafted. So are we really judging him on the fact that, oh, he didn't play well in Green Bay? Or are we judging him on the fact the Packers were stupid for drafting him in the first place? I think we're caught in two mindsets here for why we actually think Jordan Love isn't that good. I don't think it's actually because he played that bad. He didn't play good. I'm not saying that whatsoever. He did not play that good. Did he play atrociously? No. Because Patrick Mahomes scored 13 points. And he only scored one touchdown. He didn't have a good game either. Jordan Love had more passing yards than him. Jordan Love completed a higher percentage of passes than Patrick Mahomes. Patrick, Jordan Love, other than interceptions, played arguably better than Patrick Mahomes. He had more rushing yards than him, too. But we're going to sit here and say Jordan Love stinks. No, he doesn't. We just still don't like the draft pick. Which is what pisses me off with some people in media and just fans in general. Like, you know, like Josh Allen was a freaking MVP candidate last year. Arguably should have won the damn thing. But you still had people like Bomani Jones saying Josh Allen can't play the position. Why? It's not because of what Josh Allen's actually doing on the field. It's because of he didn't like the draft pick. It also goes a little bit deeper than that because he thought the Bills screwed over Tyrod Taylor and they should go with build their franchise around Tyrod Taylor, which is like a thing they said only in Buffalo, but not in Cleveland or Los Angeles or Houston. I don't know why. I don't really have the idea of why they said, why would they build not build the franchise around Tyrod in Cleveland or L.A.? I don't think anybody said they should keep Tyrod or not draft quarterback first overall when they had Tyrod there in Cleveland. I guess, I don't know. Weird how that just works out. But yeah, we didn't like the Josh Allen pick, so we don't like Josh Allen. Has nothing to do with how he's actually doing. Same thing here. Same exact thing here. And Jordan Love got compared to Josh Allen a lot during the 2020 or 20 yeah, 2020 NFL draft. Because of the fact 
came from a small school. His numbers were better the season prior versus the season that he just had. Had a cannon arm, could move very well, but no one really watched him. All hype. He's a very boomer bust prospect. We had that with Trey Lance this year. But if you can coach him right, which I think the Packers have a good coaching staff, offensive coaching staff, to coach that into him, you've got Aaron Rodgers to learn for from. He could be really good. I hate when people bash young quarterbacks or young players in general before they've even played a snap in the NFL. Like, it's just stupid thinking, really. Like, I, I hate this guy. This guy stinks. Guaranteed bust. Okay? Why? What made you say that? I bet you watched a shit ton of Jordan Love at Utah State and go, oh, yeah, this is how I made my decision. Not because, I don't know, Bomani Jones. Like, who who actually listens to Bomani Jones anyways? Or, or um, who's the other dude? Mac, Jason McIntyre. They told you that he's not very good, so I'm going to listen to him, which we've told you, don't listen to these people. <laughs> listen to me. I'm way smarter. <laughs> oh, my God. But, yeah, that's pretty much all it is. Like, Aaron Rodgers didn't play for three years. Philip Rivers didn't play for three years. But now we've had an expectation for quarterbacks to go in and play right away when they're way not ready to play. Not ready at all to play. Like people were bashing Zach Wilson. He's not ready to play. We talked about that going into the season, though, about how they have no other quarterbacks on the roster to play above him because the only person that at that time that had thrown a pass for the Jets that was on the roster was Jameson Crowder, who's a wide receiver. Was Zach Wilson ready? No. But they had no one else. <laughs> they weren't going to go into a season starting Mike White or Jason uh, James Morgan from Florida Atlantic or Florida International. They didn't have Josh Johnson at the time. Josh Johnson, I love Josh Johnson. San Diego dude has been all over the place. Every time a big team or team needs a quarterback to come in, he's always seems to be the first guy called. Like third string, emergency backup type guy. Josh Johnson, your guy. He's played for like a thousand different teams. I had his rookie card. I don't have it. At least I think I still. I don't know if I have it anymore. I don't know where it is. I You don't really keep track of those types of things. <laughs> but yeah, the, the college that Reed Senate built. That's where Josh Johnson do it. Like Justin Fields, not ready. Now he played his ass off on Monday Night Football. Trey Lance, not ready. But they had Jimmy Garoppolo there. I hated the people that were like, trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Why? Now I understand understood it to a certain extent. Because you have to realize Trey Lance didn't play football apart from one game against Central Arkansas over 2020. He didn't play in the stupid spring season that Missouri Valley Conference did, or FCS football in general did, I guess. So it's like, oh, play him now. He played one season at North Dakota State. And now he's ready, because he sat out for a year, to play in the NFL like that after one season of college football. That's not how this works. (laughs) He needs time. And Jimmy Garoppolo's a good quarterback to learn from. He's been around. He played under Tom Brady, played under Bill Belichick, played under Kyle Shanahan in the system. He'll teach him up. That's what you need to do. There's obviously circumstances that can change that makes a young quarterback ready to go. If you think he's that good, then put him in. But Jordan Love needs time. And that's why Aaron Rodgers is there. He'll probably sit for another two years, but at least we saw him play now. Against the Chiefs, in Arrowhead, the team that just went to the Super Bowl. I know their defense isn't very good. It's a tough place to play. Give Jordan Love some gosh darn time. Okay? We're not judging him off this game. And he didn't even play that bad. The offense couldn't move. It's not like he played. He's the worst quarterback ever. I watched Nathan Peterman throw five interceptions in the first half. Like, 
Jordan Love played better than Josh Allen this week. Josh Allen's an MVP candidate. So let's calm down on the Jordan Love hate. But we brought up Justin Fields a little bit, and a lot of Bears fans have hard-ons for Justin Fields. And, I mean, I get it. I understand completely. Justin Fields <clears throat> is a very exciting quarterback. Loved him at Ohio State. His accuracy on those intermediate throws is mwah, beautiful. One of the most accurate quarterbacks in between, like, between 5 to 10 yards in all of college football. Easily. Dude was awesome. The game against Clemson, we talked about this a couple days ago. Hold on. This is one of the best college football games you'll ever watch. If you want to watch a team that completely disrespected another team, and then the same team that got disrespected owning the team that disrespected them, go watch that game. Beautiful, beautiful game. And Justin Fields balled out. And the intermediate passes were what was better. I know the deep throws, we talked about this during the draft. Deep throws are always impressive. Because it's always so beautiful. Receiver runs right underneath it and catches it, walks in the end zone. Oh, it's awesome. But those short passes, that takes a whole hell of a lot more accuracy than just throwing it deep. Because this is an example we've talked about before. Anybody can look good on air. Now, this is completely different because it's in a game situation. But if you're just throwing deep passes all day long, that's fine. Any quarterback that is near that level or even like a high school starter can make that throw. Okay? Like we, I was telling my friends about this last time. I've talked about this on the show before. I went to a blue-gray All-American camp. Okay? It was like you worked these two combines and then you played in a blue-gray All-American game that was on NFL Network. That was like the big prize. So we went to the regional combine. You had the regional combine down at, I tried to think of the school before, down in southwest Missouri. They're called the Griffins. I, I don't know what they're called, what the school is called. And then we went to Canton, Ohio from the National Combine, and then the chance to go play in Jacksonville for the Blue-Gray All-American game. We went down to this camp, and out of like 30, 40, 50 quarterbacks, I don't remember how many were there, I was ranked third. Okay? <laughs> I was ranked third. And I've said numerous times, I'm not the best quarterback ever, but I'm like at least top three. <laughs> that's why. Like, I looked good on air. <laughs> Any quarterback that's worth anything can look good on air. Those deep passes are always fun. Anybody can throw a deep pass. Can anybody hit those intermediate routes? Hit routes where linebackers are coming across the middle can blow up your wide receiver. Do they know to put it on their back hips so they don't lead them right into the defender? They know how to read the safety to make sure to look them off so they can go to this side. Can they hit a, po- uh, a comeback route right on the back shoulder of the wide receiver? Can they do that? Can they hit uh, comeback routes? Can they hit hitch routes? They're easy, but can they do it? Can they hit slant routes? Can they lead the wide receiver so he goes upfield and not throw it behind him? All these variables and intermediate passing makes it so much more difficult. So when you watch Justin Fields play, especially at Ohio State, you had that, which was awesome. And last night against the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Bears offense, let's just talk about the first half, looked dead. (laughs) The Bears offense couldn't do anything. But to be fair, Steelers offense can't really do anything either. Okay, They're not that good. (laughs) Their defense is good. Offense isn't. But then the second half kicked along, not only the second half, the fourth quarter. And this is what makes should make Bears fans excited, is that Justin Fields looks like he's reading everything faster. As the game progressed, the more comfortable he looked in everything. He made some smart reads in regards to running the football that you need to have. Because sometimes those situations, now, it's kind of coached into you from a certain standpoint of, if you're in doubt, when in doubt, give it to the running back. Because you want to get in the people that are faster, that are more athletic, and all those guys. But that's coming from the standpoint of that. This is a slow-ass white white quarterback. <laughs> like, this isn't Andy Dalton we got here. Andy Dalton in this situation, 
You hand the ball off every single time. Justin Fields, he's faster than most of the people on the football field. Pull it if you have the right read. Even if you don't, you still have the speed and athleticism to get around that defender that's supposed to be crashing off the edge. If they stand still, that's key to p- give it. But if they, if you misread it, you can still make his break his ankles pretty much. And Justin Fields was doing that. And not only that, his throws were getting better. He hit some balls down the sideline. There was one that was very close. I think it was the Marquise Goodwin. That was inches. Now, Marquise Goodwin is not a very big guy. He played for the Bills, long jump guy, very fast. He had him. And then he hit Allen Robinson later. And then he threw it to uh, Kadarius, not, not Kadarius Tony, uh, Darnell Mooney in the corner of the end zone. That was a beautiful throw. Throwing, rolling out to your left. Rolling out to your left is one of the hardest things you can do as a quarterback because you're throwing against, or at least as your right-handed quarterback, because there's so many different things that you have to do with your body that makes it a difficult throw. You're rolling out to the left. You got to make sure your hips are turned. You got to make sure your shoulders are turned because if you throw with your shoulders, let's say, if you had two lines, okay, if you're facing forward, the two lines are coming from your shoulders and they're pointing forward. You do not want to be looking at the receiver like that because the ball could go anywhere. You need to turn your shoulders all the way so your left shoulder, if we have a line pointing forward still, that's the shoulder you want to have. You turn your hips, turn your upper body, fire it in there. Beautiful throw that he made last night. And all of in all, all in all, uh, tough. Bears lost. Questionable, taunting call to say the least. Uh, there's a lot of different things that went on with the whole taunting thing. I, I tried to understand where they're coming from from this. He didn't say anything. He stared at the sideline. He he has a lot of tattoos, so he must be a bad guy. I, I don't know. I don't know the thought process, these stupid taunting penalties. And they're 50, like 15, 10, 15 yard penalties. He didn't even do anything. He just stared at the sideline. He got a 15 yard penalty. Now the, the referee clearly throws a hip into him. And I've heard people like always oh, going for the flag anyways. I don't know. I think he was grabbing the flag because he knew he was gonna get contact. And if you touch the ref, that's a penalty. I know he called the personal foul penalty on sportsmanlike conduct, but good lord, I hate this. I hate, hate, hate this. And they're not consistent with it. There's so many times you see things that might be worse than that, and they don't call it. But they called that one when he just stared at the sideline. Now, that was third down. Steelers were about to punt. They got a first down and eventually stopped again, and then he made a field goal to make it a six-point game. And then the Bears march right down the field and score. But then the Steelers got the ball with a little too much time left and just marched right down the field, got a pretty easy field goal. But then Cairo Santo, uh, all the kickers in the NFL, Cairo freaking Santo, with all the coaches in the NFL, Matt Nagy is the biggest dickhead in regards to kickers I've ever seen, sends out Cairo Santo, five-foot-nothing Cairo Santos, to kick a 65-yard field goal. And then he kicked it. I think everybody I talked to thought that hit the upright. I thought it hit the or the the crossbar, not the upright. I thought it hit the crossbar. And then they showed the replay from underneath. That thing's like 10 yards short. <laughs> it's nowhere close. But from the angle it added, it was like, man, that hit the crossbar. I didn't think I was saying I didn't. Turned out he didn't. He was not even good for 55. <laughs> but then I showed my friends after that that Sebastian Janikowski, 76-yard field goal. If you never watched that, I would really... I would love for you guys to watch that. It was one of Lane Kiffin's last days as the coach of the Raiders. He just brought out Sebastian Janikowski for a 76-yard field goal. 
I, I don't need to tell you he missed it. <laughs> I mean, even if he was kicking like a 66-yard field goal, it was going wide. So, it, I mean, it wasn't like terrible. I think it was closer than Cairo Santos kicks, which just shows how much of a cheat code Sebastian Janikowski is and why you should always, always draft kickers in the first round because of that. Though he missed it, it was pretty cool to watch. But there's some other fun games this weekend. I know, like we said, a bunch of stupid results happened. We had the Jets beating the, losing the Colts. I don't know if we talked about that one or not, but they did. Chargers beat the Eagles, which is not very surprising. It was more surprising how close the game was. I know the Eagles' offense is pretty good. Like It's fast-paced. It can score a lot of points. But I was not expecting a three-point game. The Chargers won. They went for it on fourth down because Brandon Staley is the most gutsy coach in the NFL in regards to going for it on fourth down. As a defensive-minded coach, I don't think you should. I don't think he'd be a guy that go for it that much. The Bills certainly. Ah, well, I shouldn't say that. The Bills go for it a, a decent amount, as we saw with the Titans game. Uh, Browns killed the Bengals. Broncos killed the Cowboys. Dolphins beat the Texans for the battle of one and one team or one and O teams at Week One, and then one and seven teams at Week Eight. Like <laughs> that was pretty fun. But yeah, the Dolphins won. Jacoby Brissett started. I guess two had a finger injury or something. Uh, Falcons beat the Saints in the last second field goal. That was pretty cool. Giants killed or killed beat the Raiders. 23-16, Patriots beat up on the Panthers, 24-6. Not very surprising because the Panthers stink. Uh, Ravens came back to beat the Vikings in overtime. That was pretty cool. And we had the Cardinals beating the 49ers. We talked about Colt McCoy versus Jimmy Garoppolo. The 49ers lost by double digits in that game. Chiefs lose to the Packers. Or Chiefs. Chiefs beat the Packers. And then Sunday Night Football, we had Titans beating up on the Rams, 28-16. That game was never close. It was 21-3 at halftime. It was That game was... Not the most enjoyable game to watch as I take another sip of water. Just get really close to the microphone and have you. <sighs> Drive that through your freaking skull right there. <laughs> oh, man. But we had some other things go on this weekend. We had some college football, which was awesome. Now, before I start this, before I get into any of this, I understand that Petrus is not the only issue on Iowa's offense. I have understood that. It can't be much worse. And that is what Iowa's going into this weekend because good news, Alex Padilla is starting. Oh my good. At least he's listed as the starter right now. And they said a shoulder injury. It's called saving face right there. I don't buy that for a freaking second. I could be wrong. Maybe he's got a terrible labrium tear. Maybe he's battling through this terrible injury all season long. I think it's just in his left shoulder. Like, oh my goodness, Spencer Peters. This is why he's been so ass all the time. Because he's had a bad left shoulder. I know he's right. I know he's got a right arm. He's right-handed, but you know, you need your left shoulder to run. You can't run without Peters moves so much. So, like, you understand. And if he was hurt that bad, I don't know why he was standing on the side with a red hat on calling plays. If he was hurt that bad, he'd be in the locker room. Is that just why he's been so bad? Because his shoulder's been that bad? It's been bad for two years and they haven't done anything about it? <laughs> and this is weird. This is a weird reality that Iowa lives in right now. They are 7-2. and two, And their offense sucks. Like, sucks hard. They're really bad. So, when you hear people, and me included, bashing Petrus, it's also bashing Brian Ferentz, which we have been very adamant on doing because Brian Ferentz is an absolute asshat. We've talked about that about a thousand times on the show. So I'm bashing Petrus. If you hear me bashing him, I'm also bashing Brian. Okay? It's equal here. <laughs> we are a very equal, friendly show here. So Padilla comes in, 
and he looks the offense looks rejuvenated. He comes in, two touchdowns in his first two drives of the game. Has 18 of 28 passing, 172, no touchdowns, but Tyler Goodson and Arlen Bruce score touchdowns. Awesome game. Keegan Johnson actually got some catches. Tyron Tracy had more than zero catches this week. This is awesome. This is the biggest news I've heard all day. I think the most excited person on this Iowa team that saw Peters going out was Tyrone Tracy. Because <laughs> Tyrone Tracy is arguably Iowa's best receiver. And uh, you wouldn't know that because he never gets the ball. Don't know why, but he never gets the ball in any circumstance. Keegan Johnson's awesome. He got 68 yards receiving in the game. He's like six catches all year. <laughs> and now he's got five catches this game. He's the most explosive receiver Iowa has. So with Alex Padilla, do I think it's going to be the savior of the Iowa football program? Probably not. But it can't get much worse. Really? You watched the Iowa-Wisconsin game? I had back-to-back weeks of watching terrible football. Wisconsin-Iowa, then Bills-Jaguars. I didn't watch the Iowa-Purdue game. Remember, I was coming back from Cedar Falls, so I just heard it on the radio. I was blessed to hear it from the radio. Even this week sucked. Northwestern stinks, and they beat them by five. My score prediction was 14-13 to 13 going into the game. I didn't think it'd actually be this close. This is what I talk about. I hate playing Northwestern. Tyler Goodson had himself a game, 141 yards rushing in the game. Gavin Williams, 41 rushing yards for the Hawkeyes. Arlen Bruce, 30 yards receiving, 10 yards rushing. One of those rushers was a touchdown, like we said. But they are frustrating as hell. Good Lord. And this week, they play Minnesota. They play the Golden Gophers. We're coming off an exhilarating game against Illinois. And Illinois, doing the Lord's work. You know, Illinois, if you're an Iowa fan, you're also an Illinois fan. That's just how this works. Illinois has beaten Nebraska, Penn State, and Minnesota. And, and Charlotte. But I don't, I don't know if a lot of Iowa fans really care if that they beat Charlotte. But doing the Lord's work. Three most annoying coaches in the Big Ten. Scott Frost, James Franklin, P.J. Fleck. Dickheads. Now, I will applaud Nebraska. Thank you for extending Scott Frost. I appreciate it. Restructuring his contract, whatever you want to call it. I appreciate it. Good job firing everybody else, though, because it's all their fault, not Scott Frost. We can't have Scott Frost. Remember, Scott Frost was good at Nebraska. Remember that? He's pretty good. And Adrian Martinez in his 19th year. like even I, So I watched Liberty Ole Miss. On Saturday, we'll get to that game in a little bit. They even made a, an Adrian Martinez joke. They said he's in his 20th year of eligibility. I'm not even joking. I was watching that game. I was like, they just made fun of Adrian Martinez? That is awesome. National media is on our side now. And Minnesota losing to Illinois is freaking awesome. This is the same team that also lost to Bowling Green. <laughs> Minnesota's lost to Bowling Green, Illinois, uh, you know, Ohio State barely beat Miami of Ohio, 31 to 26. But a good Lord, they pounded Northwestern 41 to 14. I am not ready for this quarterback matchup this Saturday. Spencer, or no, Alex Padilla. Alex Padilla versus Tanner, Tanner Morgan. Yuck. <laughs> I don't know what it is with the Big Ten West and being ass in regards to everything because we all know. I don't think there's a single person in the entire state of Iowa. If they if they think this, go and slap them. I, you have my permission. Said Like those radio commercials when you go like, oh, if you go to this restaurant, say, this sent you. Well, if, if you see someone slap them, if they get mad, say, Logan Blackman sent you. Because if they think that any team in the Big Ten West is beating a team for the Big Ten East, they deserve a slap in the face and maybe a little more. Because that watching these quarterbacks, 
I'm just going to read you off the quarterbacks from the Big Ten West. We're not even going to go over the teams. Graham Mertz. Tanner Morgan. I'm looking at the standings right now. I'm trying to remember the quarterbacks. Aiden O'Connell. Now Alex Padilla. Uh, was Peters. Peters. What's his first name? Dylan Peters? Whatever. It doesn't matter. Arthur Sitkowski, because for some reason I can remember his name. Whoever the hell Northwestern's quarterback is now. Whether it's Hunter Johnson, whether it's Tyler Helsinki, or Marty, the guy who played Saturday, and then Adrian Martinez. Which one of those quarterbacks is winning this conference? None of them. You can look at the rest of the rosters. Don't care. They are terrible. <laughs> the West stinks. It always has stunk, and it stinks even more now. Then you look at the East. Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State, even Rutgers. <laughs> Maryland. You think of the top five quarterbacks in the Big Ten, all of them are in the Big Ten East. All of them. There's six te- seven teams in the Big Ten East. Five of the best quarterbacks in the conference are in the Big Ten East. Stroud, Thorne, McNamara, Clifford, and Tua. Leah Tagovailoa. <laughs> what other quarterback for the Big Ten West is going there? I might even argue Rutgers quarterback. I can't remember what his name is, but I know he's doing decently well statistically for what he's working with here. Like, Mertz stinks. Tim Morgan sucks. Petrus, we've said enough about him. Peters stinks. Uh, whoever at the time is Northwestern's quarterback, because I feel like they rotate him all the time. Stinks. Andrew Martinez is probably, if we're just talking about athletic tools, is probably the best quarterback in that in the West, which is bad. <laughs> That's terrible. And there's there's actually a conversation. This is how bad things have gotten. There's actually a conversation to think that Spencer Petrus is a top half quarterback in the Big Ten. There's actually conversations about that. That's how bad the Big Ten Conference is in regards to quarterbacks. It's terrible. Preseason, Michael Penix was the best quarterback in the conference. He's hurt all the time. He hasn't played good all season. Like, what? That's bad. The fact Sean Clifford's in the top five is bad. Sean Clifford's ass. And he's in the top five quarterbacks in the conference. This isn't the MAC. This isn't the Sun Belt. This is a supposedly top five conference here. Now, I will say, they still have three teams in the top ten. I will give them that. Kenneth Walker III, probably going to win the Heisman. C.J. Stroud, really good. Even though people on Twitter at the beginning of the season would told you he's complete and utter ass. I would love to see that Twitter account if it still existed. I wish I could go back and find that Twitter account. I need to go back and listen to that show because I need to find that Twitter account and see if it somehow exists. Payne Thorne is the second best quarterback in this conference. Like you just go through the standings of the Big Ten West or Big Ten East, that's the pretty much the standing of the quarterbacks. Stroud, Thorne, McNamara, Clifford, Tagovailoa. I think that's I think that's the top five quarterbacks of the conference. Oh my goodness, ass. <laughs> and I've got to sit through another quarterback battle between Tanner Morgan. And Alex Padilla, I'm really excited to see Alex Padilla. Uh, we've seen him in garbage time pretty much only because Iowa has this weird trend of never benching quarterbacks, ever. Like, the last time Ferentz benched a quarterback without a quote-unquote injury is Jake Christensen. That's how long it's been. The Iowa lost to Western Michigan on senior day. That's how long it's been. Iowa didn't make a bowl game that year. He never even played another quarterback with James Vandenberg had Iowa go 3-9 and nine or 4-8, and eight, whatever the hell they win. That season's a wash. I don't really care what that record was. 
Petrus gets benched for an injury. Like, if we look at back even a few years ago, Jake Rudock got pulled for an injury against Purdue. The next game, Rudock was back starting. So we might see Padilla start this game. We might see Petrus back the very next game. Based on Iowa's awesome history of being weirdly loyal to the starting quarterback until the, it's too late. Like, Iowa was really loyal to Jake Rudock until the bowl game when they were getting throttled, and then they put C.J. Beathard in, and then it was history. Like, Iowa does this all the time, and it pisses me off so much because when it's clearly not working. Like, I get Jake Christensen vibes from Petrus. I never want to say that about anybody, but that's what we're getting through right now. It's terrible. Goodness gracious. Hopefully, Alex Padilla is the guy. If not, I mean, Iowa fans have hyped up Deuce Hogan ever since he committed to Iowa, so hopefully he's really good too. But man, terrible quarterback play. <laughs> terrible offense. Terrible everything. I would be happy if I... I know I'm going to watch a game on Saturday. <laughs> uh, what else happened this week? I don't even really remember. I just remember Iowa playing. We had Georgia kill Missouri, unsurprisingly. Alabama LSU was a lot closer than what I, I was expecting. Purdue throttled Michigan State. 40 to 29, like beat them down. Kenneth Walker had himself, you know, over 100 yards rushing, yada, 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 touchdown, yada, whatever. We all know it's going to happen. David Bell, 200 yards receiving, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing every week. Aiden O'Connell passed for 500 yards, you know, as expected. Because we did know, jokes aside, Michigan's defense is, Michigan State's defense, I should say, is really bad. So I'm not surprised David Bell and Aiden O'Connell had themselves career days because. Their defense sucks. Like re- they give it like 400 yards a game. They're really bad. They get carried by Kenneth Walker. <laughs> that so I don't know if I'm Mel Tucker. I'm getting down to like LSU or something because this team's not gonna be very good when Kenneth Walker leaves. That's just what I think. Their defense is bad. Goodness gracious. But Purdue, congrats to them. They beat the top five teams 17 times, but not ranked. It's the most in college football by a wide margin in the history of college football. It's like 17. The next closest 11. It's a wide margin. Wide margin. Uh, Oregon beat Washington this week on surprise. Ohio State was a little closer to Nebraska than expected. Cincinnati barely beat Tulsa, which is kind of a theme with Cincinnati the past three weeks. Indiana lost to Michigan. North Carolina beat Wake Forest. Remember, we said North Carolina was favored in this game. Notre Dame beat Navy. Oklahoma State beat West Virginia. TCU upset Baylor. AM beat Auburn. Uh, BYU surprisingly beat Idaho State. We had Arkansas beat Mississippi State, which was awesome. Tennessee upset Kentucky. NC State beat Florida State. Illinois, as we said, beat Minnesota. Wisconsin throttled Rutgers. Boise State beat up on Fresno State. San Diego State beat Hawaii. And then Pitt beat Duke. But in this, we're going to talk about Louisville or uh, Louisville. Liberty versus Ole Miss. Because this game was the most, at least for me, the game that I tried to get everybody to watch. Because these are the top two quarterbacks in the draft. I don't think there's, other than Mel Kuyper, I don't think there's anybody that thinks different. I think Mel Kuyper's the only one I've ever seen have Kenny Pickett at number one and Malik Wilson at number four. We're going to go over my quarterback rankings in a little bit. We'll talk about those soon. But this game, and this could kind of just lead into the, the quarterback rankings anyways because they're still number one and two. Nothing's really changed there, but we'll talk about the order here. This game did not live up to what everybody was expecting to a certain extent because... On one hand, I think most people expected Liberty to lose. This is an independent school. They've lost to Syracuse. They lost to Louisiana Monroe. Like, this team, they're talented, but it's an SEC team. They're not going to beat Ole Miss. Like, that's what was the general consensus. But we did think 
that would be somewhat close, which to a certain extent it was, even though it finished a 13-point drubbing for Ole Miss, it wasn't like it was a complete and utter blowout. I sat there and watched the entire thing. This game was not the offensive powerhouse that we thought it would be. Now, Corral put up good numbers. Corral put up really nice numbers. 324 yards, one touchdown. He had six yards rushing or nine yards rushing on six carries, LOL. So we had that, but it was so easy. Like the first play, the second play of the game, Jaron Ely had a 70-yard touchdown run. This game was dominated by the rush attack. Like Liberty ran the ball a ton. They couldn't really get anything going to a certain extent on offense, at least passing, because what they did, I noticed this early. I don't know if they talked about it in the broadcast because I was kind of just sitting there kind of zoning out watching the game. And what they did, Ole Miss, they stacked outside. They were testing Liberty's tackles. That's all they did. They charged at their tackles. They left the middle of the field or the D-line fairly easy to get past. So that's where Liberty killed them. They ran the ball up the middle a ton on this game. And at the end of the game, they finished with 284 yards on 55 carries. They're not nor- they're a run-heavy team, but not like that. 55 carries. This is a career-high rushing ca- uh, carries for Malik Willis. He had 27 carries, 55 yards in this game. Or 71 yards, sorry. I was getting the carries mixed around. But they pounded Liberty's tackles. Like Sam Williams killed Liberty. This is the they had eight, they had six sacks or five sacks after the first quarter. Five after the first quarter, and then a minute in the second quarter, they got another sack. I think they finished with eight sacks on the day. I could be wrong about that. Hold on. Nine sacks. They got nine sacks in this game. Liberty got two. And both on the same person, Story Jackson. This game was really, really easy for Ole Miss. Like, Matt Corral is playing hurt. So you didn't expect him to do a ton anyways, but it was really easy. Every throw that he had, Liberty had no one around the defense, the receivers about 80% of the time. Like, it was just pitch and catch the entire day. I think Corral had to run out of the pocket, I think, twice the entire game. He had seven incompletions, but I think three of those were drops. So, like, this was... It was it puts up good numbers. This is why you can't just always look at statistics for everything. It was a easy game. Like easy. 27 to 14. Liberty drove down the field towards the end of the game, but Malik Willis forced a forced a ball into the end zone, got picked off. One thing I would say about Willis is that in games like this, and the games where we saw, like against Middle Tennessee State, against Louisiana Monroe, he's trying to do too much. Like we said, this is the most carries he's ever had in a game. He had 27 carries in this game, ever. His entire career, 27 carries. Three interceptions, no touchdowns. He tried to do a lot that didn't need to be done. They were driving down the field earlier in the game, and he tried to force a ball on a receiver that was running a fade route. He tried to put it on a line, and the safety came over and read the route easy, jumped the route, picked off. Easy. If he put some air under it, is it a touchdown? Maybe. Does the safety readjust and catch it on the end zone? Who knows? But when you try to put a ball on a rope, when the safety's over top and drifting towards the receiver, it's going to get picked off about 99.9% of the time. So what Willis needs to stop doing, it's not even that big of a deal. He just needs to take some pressure off himself because it looks like he puts it all on himself. And one thing I would say about both these guys, though it wasn't the the offensive powerhouse that we thought it was going to be, this is going to be one of the greatest college football games ever between a ranked team and a no-name FC, FBS team. It's going to be awesome. The two best quarterbacks in the draft. One thing you cannot bash these two on or say anything negative about is their toughness and their character. 
these two, Corral and Willis, will fight to the end of time for their team. And the thing I like about Corral going into this season, he stopped doing the mental mistakes, the things that we saw last year, like against Arkansas, like against LSU last year. We don't see that. He's being smart, and being smart coupled with him being super tough, being a leader out there, like we saw against Louisville, that was the first example we saw him being a real, real leader without Lane Kiffin there. That's what you need. And Willis is doing the same things. So whoever drafts these guys, because these are easily the top two guys in the draft. I get Kenny Pickett are in there as well, but... These two are the top guys in the draft. What you're getting is two guys that will fight for their team, that will lead their team forward, and won't have any real off-the-field issues. These are two really good people, from what I can tell from the outside, because I guess I don't really know them personally. Or I guess I guess I don't know. No, I don't know them personally. <laughs> but they're, they're going to be nice. I think if we're looking at pro prospects right now, Malik Willis will probably need to sit for a tiny bit. Corral, maybe. But I think Corral can get by with the fact that he's played tougher competition a lot more frequently than Malik Willis has. Like you look at Ole Miss's schedule just this year. You look at their past few games. You got Auburn, then you played Liberty, and then you got AM. And then you got seven then now then 17th ranked to Mississippi State. That's gonna change. You played Alabama at Alabama. You played 13th ranked Arkansas. You played at Tennessee, who's got a really fun offense. At Auburn, 14th ranked AM. 17th ranked Mississippi State. This is all from last week. I guess, I don't know if the college football playoff rankings have been released yet or not. Whereas Liberty played Syracuse, Louisiana Monroe, Middle Tennessee State, North Texas, and now Ole Miss. So I think with that, you're probably going to have to sit Willis, but I think his skill set still, though he lost the battle in this game in regards to who played better, I think his skill set is still higher than Krause because I think he could do more. But I will say this right now, I did move Corral back to number one in the player rankings because of he had a very nice game. And Willis is too. I'm not I've already basically said everything I need to say about these guys in regards to this week, because they played each other, so I could I could go over there. But yeah, it, it wasn't the game you thought, but you saw a lot out of it that you liked. Even though Willis finished with three interceptions, no touchdowns, there's a lot you could take away that was like, yeah. He'll fight for his team. That's what you want to see from your quarterback. He got beat up in this game. More than I've seen him get beat up ever since he's been at Liberty. Now, granted, he hasn't played a team that is as high of a level as Ole Miss is. But Corral looked really smooth with it. Corral was nice and easy. He got a haircut, so maybe that helped with it. But he was smooth. He took all the easy plays. And all the easy plays for Ole Miss, ironically, weren't short passes. They were like 10 to 15-yard passes every time. They ran a bunch of dig routes. He missed, a, or missed. he threw a couple balls over some receivers that just went straight through their hands. <laughs> so he could have had a better day than what he actually did. But he come in with a dub. Corral, I think, won the battle for that. But as we get close to the draft, I will still say that Malik Willis, I think, will pass him eventually. I said this during the mock draft that we did. I'm saying it now. Even though Matt Corral is number one right now, Malik Willis, I think his skill set will push him above Matt Corral eventually. But that's not, it shouldn't say anything negative about Matt Corral whatsoever. I think Matt Corral is awesome. So we're not going to say anything about that. But number three on this list, sorry, I got to uh, adjust this real quick. Okay, I didn't I didn't adjust that. But uh, number three is Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett is finally in the top three. And some would say this is about time because he's had a very nice season. But I think when you're looking at how we started the season off, Kenny Pickett was ranked, and we're including the preseason rankings, ranked 20, was ranked 16th in my preseason rankings, which is out of 20. 
once we got into the season, it was out of 10. So we didn't have any rankings for Kenny Pickett at that time. But going into the season, 12, 13, 13. Those were his past three seasons passing touchdown-wise. Right now, he has 29. You combine his past two seasons, you don't even equal it. Because quick math, 26 is less than 29. He also has three interceptions to his name this season. And against Duke, a team that we said Pickett would have a nice game against, which didn't take a brain surgeon to figure that one out. Duke kind of sucks. They started slow. I will say that Duke, the pit started slow. But they got into the form late, and they ended up beating them pretty handily in the end. They won by, what, 25 points on the road. And Pickett finished with 416 yards, three touchdowns, also had a touch, touchdown running with 57 yards. I think the way he's running the ball helps him out a lot because you want to see mobile quarterbacks. I know we have Carson Strong on here who's not the most mobile quarterback in the world, but he also has an insanely strong arm. He's pretty accurate. Pickett running helps him out a lot. So I think this top three, if I we went up to the draft, I'm pretty confident this is how it finished in the draft. But if you look where Kenny Pickett started to where he is now, 16th up to three, when you looked at like Mel Kuyper's thing, Mel Kuyper basically went unranked to number one. I don't think he can do that. I think it's got to be a gradual progression. It didn't just go, Kenny Pickett's awesome. No, here's how it went week by week. So we started at week one. He was not ranked, not ranked. Week three was nine. Week four, nine. Week five, seven. Week six, six. Week seven, six. Week eight, five. Then week nine, five. And then week 10, three. That's a gradual progression here. I think he's deserved it 100%. And now he's taking on North Carolina this week against Sam Howell, who we'll talk about in a little bit. That'll be fun. Offensive fireworks guaranteed in that game. But Kenny Pickett, it's awesome. I'm really excited. I like watching Kenny Pickett. He's a fun quarterback to watch. Number four is Carson Strong, Nevada's quarterback. As we said, like with Kenny Pickett versus Duke, we said Nevada would probably struggle against San Jose State. They struggle, A San Diego State team that has a good defense, good rushing attack, San Jose State stopped that. And this is the first time since October 26, 2019 against Wyoming that Carson Strong has had more interceptions than touchdowns. He had one touchdown, two interceptions in this game. He's never run the ball well. He has a grand total of negative 123 yards in the season. But he's accurate. He's thrown 25 touchdowns. He's gotten better as the season gone on. This is just an off game. San Jose State plays up to the level of their competition quite a bit. It was on the road. Tough environment. Now, this week, they're taking on San Diego State. So, it's not going to get any easier because San Diego State's got a much better defense than San Jose State's defense. Or not much better. It's better, though. But this will be another equally hard game. And Carson Strong still put up nice numbers. I mean, four, 350, 14 yards. He threw the ball 50 time, 54 times, but he still put up a nice game. It's a tough place to play. We're talking about just Mount, Mountain West. I'm not talking the grand scheme of football, like in Baron San Jose State to, like, Death Valley or something. But in the grand scheme of the Mountain West, it is a decently tough place to play in a team that plays up to their competition. And that's what we saw this weekend against Nevada. So Carson Strong drops down one spot. Number five is Desmond Ritter dropping down a spot again because Penny, Kenny Pickett moved up two. So Carson Strong and Desmond Ritter have to move down one. I don't know what's going on with Cincinnati right now. I really don't. For the people that are crying about Cincinnati not being ranked at the top four, I understand completely. But for the people that want Cincinnati outside the top four, I understand completely as well. Because if you look at the last three weeks for Cincinnati, they have barely beaten three bad teams. Like, not good teams whatsoever. Navy and Tulane. Teams they barely, they struggled with. Tulane, they ended up beating by double digits, but it was 14-12 to 12 at halftime. I have a combined record of 2-15. and 2-15, and 15, I don't think that's right. Because I think Navy has two wins. <laughs> Tulane has two wins. I didn't do the math right there, I, I think. <laughs> I could be I could be wrong there, but we'll, we'll stick with that right now. You'll see this tomorrow, because I'll obviously post the blog post tomorrow. 
But Tulsa had three and six, and they lost to Navy, a Navy team that did throw a single pass against them, and barely beat them at home. You can have the excuse of two road wins, but it's, it's Annapolis and Tulane. Like, the toughest place to play. I know Tulane's in New Orleans, but I know there's not a lot of love for the Tulane Green Wave down in New Orleans. At least that I know of. I know they used to play in the Superdome. It's a 70,000-seat stadium. But, hey, they don't play there anymore, and I doubt they ever came close to selling that baby out. <laughs> but Ritter had a decent game. I mean, against a team that you should have easily killed at home, this was a game he should have done this. And he had an all-right game, 43 yards on the ground. We talked about how... I wanted to see him run a little bit more this season. This is where we saw that. I understand where he's coming from with not wanting to run because he wants to show how good of a passer he's become. But now we saw a little bit more running. He had 43 yards of a touchdown in this game. Two touchdowns passing interception there. But yeah, this these past three weeks are vindication for people that didn't want them in the top four because they played bad against bad teams. But yeah, Ritter had to drop down one spot. Six is Sam Howell beating Wake Forest. I almost said upset. They didn't because they were favored. Sam Howell has had four straight weeks of 90-plus rushing yards. And we talked about before the season started, Sam Howell is a very good athlete. Underrated athlete. We said this going into the season. I didn't think he'd go supernova like this. He's less than 100 yards behind Malik Willis in rushing yards. And I don't think they're the same level of athlete whatever, whatsoever. But Sam Howell is showing how good of a runner he can be. The problem is we don't have that consistency in the pass game at all. It's not even close. For what we've expected from Sam Howell in North Carolina this year, it's just up and down, up and down, up and down. To give Sam Howell credit, he does everything to try and get his team wins. Runs the ball, take the hits. You see his first touchdown run against Wake Forest this past week, and he ran through the entire freaking defense. He'll crank out big runs. He has a cannon for an arm. Like I like Sam Howell a lot. This just hasn't been his year in regards to consistency, which is what you need going into the draft. His previous two years, that was consistent. We knew what we were getting from Sam Howell, but like we said preseason, he's going to work with a bunch of new players this year because a lot of players left. Diami Brown, Chaz Newsom, Michael Carter, and Javante Williams all left North Carolina last year. We've talked about that a thousand times. So it was going to be a rough patch here. But his consistency needs to improve on that rushing game. We like it way better than what it was supposed to be this year. Passing game down from what we were expecting. But he stays at six. I think he's the only one in this top ten that didn't move <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, number seven, Sam Hartman from Wake Forest. Seven total touchdowns against North Carolina. On the road. Underdog. Undefeated season over. But like how running ability is helping him out a lot. The way Sam Hartman's running, we talked about how he's almost, he's about ready to pass. I don't know if he ended up doing it. I guess I haven't looked at his official stats. but Or uh, his career stats, I guess I should say. But his rushing numbers are looking really good. He's completing a decent percent of his passes. 27 touchdowns to five interceptions is awesome. For a Wake Forest team that was expected to win about eight or nine games this year, they're already at nine. So <laughs> is this just supposed to drop off from here? But he played well. Tough game. Lost by three points. They can't really... There's not a lot to front on that or say anything bad about for Sam Hartman. Number eight, Hendon Hooker. Finally in the top ten. We had him in the honorable mentions list for the past two, three weeks. Can't remember exactly. He had another good game. Upset of a top ten team, a top twenty-five team. Tennessee beat in Kentucky. Twenty-one touchdowns, two picks on the season. Four hundred fifty-seven yards rushing. He has looked awesome since taking the starting job over from. I had his name wrong. Joe Milton, the Michigan quarterback that transferred down there. Tennessee's offense looked completely different after Hendon Hooker took over, which we knew going into Tennessee. 
We had two transfers coming in. Joe Milton, Hendon Hooker. We both know they were good quarterbacks. Like, good quarterbacks. Not, like, amazing. They're solid quarterbacks. Let's call them solid. But Hendon Hooker has taken another step this year. That you could say a lot of quarterbacks have taken this year. Like, Kenny Pickett. Matt Corral. But Corral was good last year, too. But Corral, or to a certain extent, Corral. Sam Hartman. The guy we're going to mention next. Or not next. Uh, the guy we... Wait. Hold on. <laughs> Whatever. Well, you know what I'm... I hope you know what I'm trying to say. But he's had a good year. Very nice year. And against the big boys, they played four top 25 teams, or top 20 teams this season. That's at the time they were ranked. Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, Kentucky. He's thrown one interception in those four games with 10 touchdowns. Completed a high percent of his passes, a lot, over 1,000 yards, while also rushing for 108 yards against Mississippi. Which is weird to say. I don't like that I said that. Ole Miss. <laughs> he plays good against the big opponents, which is what you want to see. And this week, they're playing Georgia. Will they upset Georgia? No. But will they play tough? Yes. Will they cover the spread? Maybe. Their offense is really good. I don't know about Tennessee's defense, but their offense is really good, and Hendon Hooker is the main reason for that. Number nine, uh, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. He didn't play. So, uh, he hasn't played in two weeks. Injured by week last week. They're playing Colorado this week. Hopefully he's back and healthy because I want to see him play because he's a fun quarterback to watch. And then number 10, hanging on by the skin of his teeth, Jaden Daniels. Two interceptions, no touchdowns. He now has seven touchdowns, seven interceptions on the season. You would think he'd miss some time this year. Nope. He's played every single game, seen every single snap for the most part. He obviously didn't play at the end of the Utah game. But, dude, this dude's super talented. He's improved accuracy-wise this year. But what he gained in that, he basically just took away from his touchdowns and just gave it to interceptions as well. This dude's too good to have seven touchdowns at this point in the season. Only seven touchdowns. Every other quarter. Let's read the touchdown totals for every other quarterback in this list. Matt Corral, 16. Which is, you know, nine more than Jaden Daniels. Malik Willis, 21. Kenny Pickett, 29. Carson Strong, 25. Desmond Ritter, 20. Sam Howell, 20. Sam Hartman, 27. Hendon Hooker, who has played less games than Jaden Daniels, to uh, to my knowledge, I think, because he didn't start the year. 21 touchdowns. Dorian Thomas Robinson who's been out for the past two weeks, has 13. And I think they had a bye week earlier in the season as well. Well, because they played week zero, so I guess that doesn't really count. But Daniels, come on. what? Uh, you're too talented to be doing this. He's hanging on. He has one, two games, back-to-back, where he's throwing a touchdown pass. Just twice. He's done it once all year. He's throwing a touchdown back-to-back games. Once. That is ridiculous for how talented he is. Now, there's quarterbacks in the other section that could easily pass him. The one that I'm leaning towards at this point in time is Devin Leary from NC State. Dude's balling out this year. I don't know what it is with the ACC this year. They've got the best quarterback conference in the college football right now. They're, it's insane. You look at the quarterbacks they have. Just in the other section, Brendan Armstrong, Malik Cunningham, Devin Leary. Then we had Sam Hartman earlier, Sam Howell, Kenny Pickett. That's, 10, that's 10, six quarterbacks, I can count. And this is supposed to be the worst Power 5 conference in college football. They have a great crop of quarterbacks. Now, obviously, the SEC's up there as well, but not in this draft class anyways. I mean, you got Hennon Hooker. Then you've got Matt Corral, obviously. But the other good quarterbacks aren't old enough yet. Emory Jones has not lived up to expectations this year whatsoever. Their quarterback, their other Richardson just got hurt dancing in the hotel room. Uh, Will Levis is pretty decent this year from Kentucky. He's in the other, men- other honorable mention as well. Jake Hayner dropped down three interceptions at a blowout loss to Boise State. 
Malik Cunningham had a great week running the ball, two touchdowns, 134 yards for him this game against uh, Clemson in a close loss. And then Brendan Armstrong, who was on a bye, but he's just put up monster numbers this year. 27 touchdowns, carried Virginia's offense, just carried their team in general. They're extremely one-dimensional. Just one quarterback, really. That's pretty much all it is. But for this week, you can watch these games on Saturday. So you got Matt Crow and Ole Miss taking on Texas A&M. Liberty's on a bye. Kenny Pickett and Pitt are taking on North Carolina, so that means North Carolina's taking on Pitt. Carson Strong and Nevada are taking on San Diego State. Desmond is taking on USF on the road. Then we have Sam Hartman at Wake Forest playing NC State. Tennessee's taking on Georgia, like we said. UCLA's coming back to play Colorado, and Arizona State is taking on Washington, which kind of scares me for Jaden Daniels in the passing game because they have the number one pass defense in college football. But they have the second-worst rush defense in the Pac-12. So... I would hope Jaden Daniels exploits that and runs the ball a lot against Washington. That's what I'm hoping for. Jaden Daniels is a good enough athlete to carry the load running the ball for Arizona State. And I think against a team that has the number one pass offense, I would hope there's a lot of read options in this game because that's what Jaden Daniels thrive on. (laughs) Get the ball in his hands, let him move because I don't want him to drop out of the top 10. I like him too much to drop him out of the top 10. But yeah, that's what we've got for our quarterback rankings. Anything else that happened this week? Oh, uh, Kamaru Usman. Beat Colby Covington. The pride of Penn wins again. And then we had Canelo Alvarez becoming the first ever undisputed super middleweight title holder. Holds all the belts in super middleweight division. It was awesome. A lot closer. I'll give Caleb Plant a shit ton of credit because that was a lot longer of a fight than I was expecting. I said seventh round knockout for Canelo. And it lasted the 11th round. So I'll give Caleb Plant his just dessert. Like Good fight. Great fight for Caleb Plant and Canelo. Canelo, I would assume that he didn't think it was going to go that long either. He said eight rounds. He said he was going to knock him out in within eight rounds. And then Kamaru Usman, tough fight against Colby Covington, but one, got to love Kamaru Usman, pride of Penn, as we say. But yeah, this weekend was fun. Despite the Bills game, it was, it was a pretty pretty fun weekend. Pretty fun weekend. Hung out with some friends, watched some football. Oh, Iowa State beat Texas. Unsur- I mean, pretty unsurprising. You and I, if we're talking about surprises, lost Illinois State, but we're going to talk about that the less said, the better. They beat two top 10 teams back-to-back and then lose to Illinois State, who's the second-worst team in the Missouri Valley Conference. That's that's all we're going to say. That's all we're going to say about it. Is there anything else? I mean, college basketball starts tonight, so that's pretty fun. We got Thursday Night Football this week. I guess I don't even know who plays Thursday Night Football this week. Who is it? <laughs> Ravens Dolphins. Ooh. Do I want to watch that? <laughs> no, I'll watch it. I'll watch Thursday Night Football, but the Ravens should obliterate the Dolphins. At least that's, that's what my gut's telling me. I could be wrong, but also, that's Thursday night that I completely forgot about. Rather watch this instead, North Carolina versus Pitt. That's Thursday night, 6, 6.30 on ESPN. Watch that game instead of that garbage Thursday night football game in the NFL. Pitt is a 6.5 point favorite in this game. Sam, Sam Howell versus Kenny Pickett. That's the game you should watch in college football on Thursday night football this weekend. We got some fun game. We'll preview the other games. Once Saturday comes along, or once Friday comes along, we'll go over the college football games, we'll go over the NFL games, talk about the Bills. Hopeful bounce-back game against the New York Jets, a team they've had relative success with since Josh Allen's been here, which is what you'd expect from the Buffalo Bills at this point with how good they're supposed to be. But yeah, that's all I've got for you today. So I hope you enjoyed the show. If not, do I have anything else? Anything else? Just before I close out the show and just completely forget about what I was going to (laughs) say, just in case. Oh, I guess this is one last thing. Daniel Jeremiah on Twitter. Interesting opinion from a scout buddy. 
10 players in the 2021 NFL draft would be first overall in 2022. Matt Miller, another draft guy, said five of them would be QBs too. Yes, agree with that 100%. I think any quarterback that came out this year from last year's draft would be drafted first overall. And if you look at the 10 players that were drafted, there's a lot of good players in last year's draft. Deep draft class. The past two drafts were extremely deep. Extremely deep. And of the five quarterbacks drafted in the first round last year, all of them get drafted first overall this year. That's just what I would think. That's what I'm saying right now. I love Malik Willis. I love Matt Corral. But you look at, like, Justin Fields, he get drafted number one easy. Uh, Zach Wilson would have got drafted number one. You would have had Trevor. I mean, we're not. I guess I don't really need to mention Trevor Lawrence. Trey Lance would have been drafted number one. Like we had all these guys, but yeah, that was the last thing I wanted to bring up. I just thought it was I, it was an important talking point because we talk about the draft all the time. We talk about quarterbacks, and that was Daniel Jeremiah, a guy that I think's the best at doing what he does in regards to scouting the draft. So that with that being said, I will see you all later. This has been Logan Blackman, host of Logan Blackman Show. Make sure you go and follow me on all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and of course, as you're listening to it right now, make sure you're following me on the Apple Podcasts and Spotify accounts. Give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. I greatly appreciate it. And with that, I will see you all later. Have a good day. Sorry I missed Monday. Bills bounce back. Peace.